Good evening. Okay, that was a little weak. Let's try that one more time. Good evening. All right, aren't you guys glad to be in the house of the Lord this evening? Tonight we are going to uh, worship the Lord with all that we have, all that's within us. And we're first off going to start that off with prayer. And I'm going to ask uh, Dennis if he will lead us in prayer this evening. Amen. Worship with us in song as Mr. Doddsworth comes and leads us in our singing. Let's all grab a hymn book, turn to page 113 in your hymn books. 113, we have come into this house to what? <coughs> Worship. Amen. 113. I thought about this song. Let's all stand for this one. Um, I thought about this song this morning as Brother Marford was giving the message, and I thought it fit perfectly for what he was saying. And um, just sing this with all your heart tonight. 128. Down to earth. 
seated. Well, thank you for your wonderful singing. We're uh, going to go through the announcements here. They are going to have, on January 25th at 4 p.m., a wedding reception for Chase and Autumn in the Fellowship Hall, along with Autumn's request this morning, her announcement that goes with that. Uh, January 26th, IBS Freedom Quartet will be here that evening service, snacks following the service. And I will tell you, bring a friend. That group has been out a few times, and that group has sang to a few people. But the, what I've noticed with traveling with that group is the more people in the congregation, the more nervous they are. But the better they sing. So if you want to hear some really good singing that night, bring a friend. Bring a family. And let's, uh, let's get the gospel out to our community. February 9th, we will be having uh, the State of the Church Address in the AM service. And then following the next week, the 16th, we'll have the... Uh, Congregational meeting in the PM service. Uh, IBS revival with Dan Stetler, January 27th through the 31st. So you want to make yourself available for that. Go out there, encourage the, the teens at the school by participating in their service with them. Also, we just want you to know that uh, I didn't ask for permission for this, but I'll ask forgiveness later. Uh, February 21st, there is a Southern Gospel concert being held in Independence again for the uh, school. Uh, make yourself available for that. Flyers will be coming. Uh, you guys will enjoy that that evening. Now, just a little different because I don't remember how they do it every Sunday night, but I, I want testimonies. How many of you like to hear testimonies? Good, because you're all going to stand up and give one, right? Here's how I want to do it. I want, I want you to think about it. I want a mother a father, a grandpa, a grandma, I want a teenager, and there's only three of them, so you better duel it out, and I want a child to testify. So we're going to start, and I'm just going to start at the top here, the patriarch. Which grandpa wants to give a testimony tonight? I'll pick a grandpa. Brother Paul, or, or Grandma's going to do it first. Go ahead, Grandma. Amen. What a wonderful name. Now do I have a grandpa 
I have one that's been smiling really big, so I think, Brother Vaughn, you can stay seating, sitting, but what's here, Brother Vaughn, testify?
Well, good, because I was going to go back in there and add, add young adult. Now we got that covered. Let's, let's pick out who, who wants to be the dad that testifies tonight. Wonderful. How about a mom? Hmm. I'm not opposed to calling people out. Amen. All right, teenagers, there's three of you. And just because I'm that type of person, Larissa, why don't you stand up and testify? She's been in my home since Friday, and I want to hear her testify tonight. All right. And just because I'm that person, Brandon, go ahead. Yeah, Brandon, go ahead and why don't you finish off the teenagers for us. Amen. I mean, I wish everybody could have a good dose of Brandon right there. Yeah. That would make the world a much more enjoyable place. Yeah. All right, who wants to be the kid that testifies? <clears throat> All right, Liam, stand up. What are you thankful for? <laughs> All right. Can you say, what are you thankful for? Are you thankful for your book? Uh, we're going to go with that, I guess. The reason I did that tonight, it went along with this morning's message. The position, the name of God. And every one of those titles tonight encompassed an aspect of God. And how he relates to us. And I'm so thankful for the testimonies we heard tonight. Now, I believe we're going to go to prayer. And tonight, let's make sure we're praying for the requests that are mentioned in the bulletin. I'm not going to take time to go through them all. 
because there's a, there's a more pressing need that represents today that uh, we want to make you aware of that it is uh, Sanctity of Human Life. It's National Sanctity of Human Life Day. And uh, we want to make that an aspect of prayer this evening. We want to put that on the, the top priority this evening. We want to focus on that. I mean, I, I have a sister who's had an abortion and has regretted it. And it, it comes home to us. And it comes home to us that my, my sister could have chosen abortion over having her little boy that we get to call our son now. And I'm so thankful that she chose life over death. So tonight there are millions of women across our nation that have to make a daily determination for life. And tonight, I want to make that an aspect of prayer tonight that we choose as a nation. We choose life over death. Being one of the only nations that it's okay to save a puppy, but it's not okay to save an unborn baby. So tonight, let's make that an aspect of prayer along with the other requests that were mentioned today. Um, I want to clarify a request that was mentioned this morning on the Hamilton side, it would be Mr. Allen who owned the funeral home in Independence. Uh, that would be Sarah Hamilton's father has passed away Friday evening. Um, so remember the Hamilton side, but the Allen side as well. Um, and pray that for their family as they prepare for the funeral this week. Are there any other requests that you guys want to make mention tonight? If not, we're going to kneel in prayer together, and let's just all pray out together in a good season of prayer. <coughs> Dearly Father, we're so thankful for what you're doing in our lives today. We're so thankful for how you've moved in our services today, Lord, and how you, your presence has been manifested unto us, Lord. Thank you for the good testimony. God, I just pray that your will be done. In our lives. But tonight, Lord, we come to you with burdens and requests that weigh heavy on our hearts tonight, Lord. We pray that you'll be in those situations with all the prayer requests that were mentioned in the bulletin. But you also know that it's sanctity of life today, Lord. We just pray that you'll help these women make decisions Father, as we think about today, as we that think are about God-honoring. the sanctity of human life, and Lord, we, just, we just pray that you would we just choose life over death. making a decision between and God, we ask that you take uh, life of their child. That situation in our Father, we pray that, oh God, that you would cause a revival. Lord, the battle that we have we don't, we don't know how to bring a nation back to the principles of God except for to call upon your name and and to trust in you to bring revival. That, Father, that we would value humanity again, that we value life again. Lord, I believe that there are, this year, going to be uh, uh, decisions made by our Supreme Court concerning uh, life and abortion. And, Father, we just ask that you would, that you would touch our, our Supreme Court justices. May they make the right decisions. May Oh God, we, we keep coming back to the verse that the king's heart is in your hand. And, and Lord, we ask that you, not only the king, but the, the president and, and the Congress people and, and, and those that are, are on the Supreme Court and, and Lord, the governors and, 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 and the legislators.
legislators, oh God, hold their hearts in your hand, we pray. Oh, may we know you today. May we know you. Oh, Father, I want to know you better. I want to know you better. Oh, we pray that you would anoint and help it. The, those, oh God, that have the responsibility of choice, making these choices. Oh, the weight that they carry upon them. Oh, the blood that is on their hands. Father, we thank you for those that that have that were a part of that industry, but have turned their back on it. How you you redeemed those that that were made awful choices and were a part of it. But but Lord, we're thankful that you can you can do great and mighty things. Oh, different requests, heal with those that are traveling, anoint and help those that that are working in, in your vineyard. We think of our missionaries around the globe. We think of our pastors. And Lord, we pray for our churches that don't have a pastor today. We just pray that you'd encourage them and help them. Call those that would fill the pulpit, those that would preach the truth. Oh, Father, we need, we need young people to answer the call. Send forth laborers into the harvest field. Oh, that you be with our school and not those that are grieving, Father, in your presence. Oh, meet every need. Be with those that are sick. Touch their bodies. Be with those that are unsaved. Call them to themselves. Oh, Father, shout. Shout to them. Father, help us to sit. Help us to walk carefully and humbly. Oh, help us to walk carefully. Lord, may we never be a, dis uh, a disappointment to you. Our ushers could come now. We'll take the pastor's offering at this time. We'll be singing page 140 in your hymn books. 140. One of my personal favorite songs. Amen. John, would you pray for the offering? Amen. One forty.
Thank you for your giving. And at this time, let's prepare our hearts for worship as Alex and Lorinda come to lead us in our special. And then also pray for Brother Morford as he prepares the sermon and delivers what God has laid upon his heart for us tonight.
When I was a young person, when I was a child, my parents had a rule. I wasn't allowed to do any trading. They thought that I would get swindled. And you, have, you know, you've seen children's trades, and they're sometimes they're pretty unfair. A child wants something, and because they want it, they're willing to give up anything in the moment, no matter its value. But Alex learned to told us about a very good trade for our side, huh? Traded our shekels for a glorious song. What a trade. Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn with me, if you would, to Zechariah chapter 14, our last Sunday. Lord willing, if I can get through this. And I, I'm, it's my plan. It's my hope to get through this this, this morning. Or this evening. This morning, yeah. Um. This is our last, our last visit to Zechariah, at least as, as preaching through the book. That doesn't mean the Lord won't lead us back sometime, but um, I, have, I have to say, I, when the Lord led me to preach on Zechariah, I thought, oh Lord, what are you doing? I can't preach Zechariah. 
That's, that's, a, that's a tough book to preach. But I have to say that I, that I really feel like the Lord's really made this book come alive to me. And I hope it has to you. Please pray for me. I'm, my heart's try, trying to decide. I've got two books that, that are kind of in my heart to, to go to uh, for next... Uh, well, I guess we won't be starting next Sunday so because we'll have the group here. Um, but pray for me as I try to get the mind of the Lord for the next book. Um, I just, I don't know where, where we're headed, and I don't like that. I like to know where we're headed. I'm supposed to be leading, and man, if the leader doesn't know where he's going, we're all in trouble, huh? But uh, pray, please pray for me, but I'm thankful the Lord led us to Zechariah. I really am, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed these last months of being in this book. A book that probably has been largely ignored by most, you know, when it's time to read it in our Bible reading, we kind of go quickly through and, and maybe not understand it much, but hopefully hopefully there's some notes. Maybe when you'll read through it, you'll pick up, uh, go on the line and, and uh, listen to a sermon on that passage, maybe help you to understand a little better, I don't know, but I trust these, these have been a blessing to you. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. You've been sitting for a while. And uh, they say that, I, that we're not allowed to preach longer than the seat can endure, so I want to give you a break that way so that I can preach a little longer. <laughs> Zechariah 14. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city will be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and on the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and towards the west, and there shall be a great valley, and half of a mountain shall be removed toward north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee into the valley of the mountains, and the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee, and it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day, and shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that living water shall go forth out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, and half of them toward the hinder sea, in the summer and in the winter shall it be. And the Lord sh shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. All the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and the inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate unto the corner gate and from the tower of Hananiel unto the king's wine presses. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this shall be, and this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord shall smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away 
while they stand on their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay hold every one on their hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. And Judah shall fight in, at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the heathen around shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. And so shall the plague of the horse and of the mule and of the camel and of the donkey and of all the beast that shall be in the tents as this plague. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of the nations that came up against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up out of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not up, uh, that they have no rain. There will be the plague wherewith the Lord shall smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and of the punishment of the nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. And in that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judea shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts, and all that they that sacrifice shall come to take them, and the seeth therein. And, it shall be, and in that day there shall be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Father, Help us, help us tonight to rightly divide the word of truth. Help us, Lord, to, as we conclude this great book of prophecy, help us, Lord, to, to preach what is true, what is right. Let us keep out our opinions, our philosophies, but may you be the center. May you be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Martin Luther, that great theologian, produced his own commentary on the book of Zechariah, and he ended it at chapter 13, didn't do 14, gave no reason why, just stopped at thir chapter 13. A year later, he published another commentary on Zechariah, and this time for chapter 14, he says these words. I give up. I don't know what the prophet is talking about. Well, isn't that encouraging? You might have caught that I asked the Lord to help us to rightly divide the word of truth. I often do that, but I especially meant it tonight. I always especially mean it, I guess, but, but there was just a little bit more urgency as I, honestly, there's a part of me that just wanted me to say to you, if Martin Luther doesn't know, I don't either go home. And all the people would have rejoiced, and so I couldn't do that, because I can't have you rejoicing. As I check the commentaries to try to understand this passage, there is a definite line. The commentaries that were written before Israel became a nation, they all pretty much decide, they kind of fall in line that this is talking about the Romans conquering Jerusalem and, and that their, their uh, armies were made up of, of the, um, 
of the different nations of the world. And, and so probably this is a, 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 a picture of Jerusalem falling. And, you know, the Lord, one, you know, his feet on Mount of Olivet and the splitting. And this is all kind of metaphor. They kind of all explain it all the way. Well, then the commentaries that are written after Israel becomes a nation, these all are going to happen in the end times. This is going to happen when the Lord comes back after the tribulation, and, and this is going to be a time where, where uh, the Lord is going to defeat the enemies of Israel, and uh, this is literally going to happen, and this is not any metaphor or any prophet talk. This is literally going to happen. And I'm there checking out the, the different thoughts, and this is what I've decided. I'm not going to tell you what God means here because I don't know. It is a dangerous thing, at least in my opinion, as, as pastor, to try to tell you that this is definitely going to happen or that this definitely already happened. I'm not going to do that. I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have, I, I've, li I've, I've read both sides. And I say, y'all make good points. And I'm just, I just don't have anything that, I just don't have any reason to take one side or the other. Just because I'm on this side of Israel being restored as a nation, I feel like I can't vehemently disagree with Adam Clark and, and John Wesley and Matthew Poole and Sutcliffe and, and all the host of others that I checked out. So what am I going to do with this passage? The same thing I've done with all of these pa difficult patches in Zechariah. I'm going to stick with what the scripture does tell us and what we do know. I'm going to try to stick with what the passage makes clear and try to help us from there. Because I believe there's some truths here that we can that, that are timeless, that are that are it doesn't matter when these things took place, where you point your fingers to. There's some things that we can know. And the first thing that I noticed is that God permitted suffering. God permitted suffering. You know what? We have this, we have this simple philosophy. If it's good, God did it. God's good, and if it's good, God did it. And if it's bad... Well, the devil's bad, and the devil's doing it. So, you know, you have a rough week, and you get up to testify, and this is, this is what you'll say. The devil's been really hounding me this week. My car didn't start. The dog died. My wife was mad at me for no good reason. Got in trouble at work. Had issues with the boss. But I love the Lord anyhow. He's good. Amen. And sit down. And we're all like, well, that was encouraging. <laughs> now there is times, there are times that we ought to, there are times that we have to stand up on principle and say, I love the Lord. Things aren't necessarily going my way. Things are not the way that I want them to be. But, but I want you to know that I'm serving the Lord. My heart is fixed. Now that's something to get encouraged about. But let me tell you that, that, that Scripture here especially, but other places, and I believe all of Scripture, tells us this. This, is, this idea that if it's good, it comes from God, and if it's bad, it comes from the devil, is a false one. 
It is not true. Everything in our life comes from God's hand. Every good thing, every bad thing. Your car doesn't start, God permitted it. The dog dies, I'm sorry, but God permitted it. The, the washing machine broke and spilled water all over your floor. It's still God. God is sovereign. He's in control of it all. Well, I don't like that, preacher. I like blaming the devil for the bad stuff. I like saying, you know, the, the devil did it. Man, I don't want to say God, God let the washing machine broke. I mean, he, he broke the washing machine. I mean, that's not very good. And the car wouldn't start. And, and man, I, that's not very, that's not, that doesn't jive with my philosophy. Well, let's, let's just be honest with it here. When we say that Satan has power over the bad, we are saying that, that Satan and God got into a disagreement and Satan won. That's what we're saying. We're saying God and it was wrestling around with the devil and, and we didn't either pray enough or, or God was too weak that particular time and Satan won and so that's how come the car didn't start. Satan is less than an ant to God. God can put him out with his tiny toe. He doesn't need to wrestle around with Satan. When we look at the book of Job and Satan comes lurking into the throne room of God, Satan has to ask for permission to do anything to Job. He, he wants to, to take away the wealth that Job has accumulated. He's got to ask God for permission. There's a hedge about him. And God has said to Satan, you can't come in here. And Satan has to say, may I come in? He wants to touch, he wants to touch his, Job's body. He wants to cause Job to be sick. And do you know what he has to do? He has to ask for permission. He has to ask. And God sets the boundaries every single time. The first time he says you can't touch him. The second time he says you can't, you can't kill him. God continuously sets the boundaries for Satan. Satan is like a little four-year-old asking for permission. He is that inferior to God. And in this passage... This is what God says. Now this is going to rock some of you. Hold on to your seats. He's the one who is going to gather the nations to come up against Jerusalem. He's the one that's bringing the enemy to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem's going to kill half of them. He's going to, going to capture them. He's going to allow their homes to be destroyed. He's going to allow the women to be raped. I, didn't I just preach this morning God is good? I just preached this morning God is good. I said his name was good and that he is good. What? Satan's not in this game at all from, from Zechariah's uh, 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 prophecy. He's not, Satan's not here asking for permission. It's God that's bringing in the enemy and saying, come on, gather in, come destroy my people. Wow. 
Anybody encouraged yet? You know what? I am. I am, and here's why. It's pointing to the fact that my God controls every bit of what he allows to happen to me, and there is not one thing. There's not a mosquito that can bite me on a summer day, but what God doesn't permit it. There is not a sickness, there's not, there's not a disease, there's not a trouble, there's not a difficulty, there's not an ornery cantankerous boss, there's not an ornery cantankerous you that God does not permit into my life. He is in absolute total control of the wind and the rain and the snow and the sleet and the hail and the sun and the moon and the stars. And folks, I don't need to go check in the astrology or the fortune tellers because I have the relationship with the very one who knows tomorrow. He's already seen it. He's already there and he's already working today and preparing me for tomorrow. And I'm encouraged because even though God may permit things in my life that I don't want, it isn't because Satan got the better of him. It's because God knows what's good for me. God knows what's good for me. God knows. And man, I read some of what God's going to allow and it's, man, it kind of shocks me. Man, if God hadn't written this, if God hadn't put this in his word, it would almost sound like blasphemy for God to say that he's going to bring in the bad guys to come in and destroy his people and to pillage them and steal their stuff and to kill them and to rape their women. That sounds awful. But God's saying to us this evening, what he allows, he does because he's got a greater good. That must, we must first go through that awfulness. We must first go through that tragedy. We must go through the crucible before we can experience what the best good that God has for us. And this is where trust comes in. This is where trust comes in. So many people get upset with God because God permits some kind of bad thing in their life. Some little difficulty, some, different, some challenge, and we forget in that moment that God is using that horrible, terrible situation in our life to bring out some incredible, awesome good on the other side. You say, what good is it if I'm dead? What if I'm part of the people that are killed? I mean, what if I'm part of that group? Aren't you home in heaven? But more than that, more than that, just if you look through this chapter, you begin to see what God's going to do. Because not only did God permit the suffering, but God personally saves. God gets in there and he delivers his people himself. And here's what happens. He begins to bring some blessings to the people. And I don't know that I'll remember them all as, they, as we go through, uh, but as you go through this passage, suddenly you start seeing some incredible things that God's going to bring. First, he's going to bring light. He says, you're not going to be able to tell the day from the night. The light's going to be there. It's gonna, at eventide, you're not going to even know if it's evening. It's day and night. There's light. 
You know, we are suffering. I truly believe that we're living in the day where God has sent a famine of the word and people are struggling with light. I believe with all my heart, even in our holiness churches, we're struggling with light. I'd be cautious. I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't ask for a show of hands, but, but there's a part of me that almost would like to. The honorary side of me, I suppose, would like to ask, when's the last time God's given you light on something? For some of us, I'm afraid it's been too long. So Brother Kaufman, who sells, tells us the definition of light is God's opinion on anything. I really like that definition. God's opinion on anything. When's the last time God's given you his opinion on something in your life? Oh, folks, it shouldn't be too long. It shouldn't be too long. You're thinking about making a purchase. Lord, what's your will concerning this? Is this purchase... Are you wanting me to buy this new boat? I'd like to have this boat. Man, I'd really like to have that new car. I'd like to have that house. I'd like to have... And you put, your, you put it, whatever it is in there. Has God given you his opinion? Or how about when you're in the store and you're looking at that outfit? You go in the dressing room and... Say, Lord, what do you think about this outfit? Does it glorify you? Do you? Does it honor you? Or does it glorify me? What's your opinion on this outfit? Preacher, that sounds awful ridiculous. You know, I'm going to tell you something. Hold on to your seats. I'm going to tell you something here that might shock you. I am madly, deeply in love with my wife. I mean, I just think she's wonderful. I think she's so wonderful, if I had to, I'd just marry her all over again. And I'm not trying to be all mushy and gross, but I tell you what, I'm half tempted to kiss her just right now. I'm just feeling just, just a lot. I just love her so much. She's turning all red. But I tell you, my heart just pump, pump, pumps for her. I get all excited when I see her. I still do. I mean to tell you, I just married the prettiest, smartest one. And I know she's the smartest one because she picked me. <laughs> I mean to tell you, I just absolutely adore my wife. I love her very, very, very much. And I'm not ashamed for you to know it. And if you think I'm being gushy, well, just too bad. Valentine's Day is coming and I'm getting in good practice. But here's I want to tell you something. I don't go clothing shopping alone. I bring her with me. Not because I don't know what I like. Not because I don't know how to buy something. I want to know her opinion on my clothing options. And typically I just let her pick it out because she's better at it anyways. I want her opinion on my wardrobe. Maybe you don't feel that way. Maybe you don't care what your wife thinks about what you wear. Before I come over to church on a Sunday morning, I just, double, I just check in with her. How do I look? Does my tie match my shirt? If it doesn't, it's her fault. I asked her opinion. I'm, 
I'm colorblind partially. I don't always know. I need her opinion on whether this tie matches this shirt. Sometimes I'll bring two or three ties out. Which one looks best? I want her opinion. I value her opinion because I love her. I'm madly, deeply in love with her, and I care what her opinion is. Maybe you don't care what your wife's opinion is. That's all right. If you loved her like I love my wife, you would. I'm going to make some enemies of some husbands tonight and make some friends with some wives. I... <laughs> That's all right. Here's what I'm trying to help us understand. If you are madly, deeply in love with your Savior, you'll care about his opinion about things. If in my humanity, I mean, we've been married. This, this summer, we're going to be, our marriage is going to be old enough to vote. I mean, we've been, we're getting to be old married folk now. It's getting scary. At this point, I don't expect, I don't expect to fall in love with any other woman in the rest of my life. I found the one. And if I value her opinion that much, how much more my Savior who died for me? Folks, we ought to be getting God's opinion on the things. Whatever the things are. I don't need to know Dean's opinion on my outfit. I mean, it might, it might be worth knowing, but I don't need to know. I'm not madly, deeply in love with Dean. And he's thankful for that, and so is Denise. <laughs> I don't need Sister Mayhem's opinion on my outfit. I mean, if she has an opinion, I'll listen to it. But if my wife disagrees with her, guess what? My wife trumps Mrs. Uh, Mayhem's opinion on my outfit. Because I'm madly, deeply in love with my wife. And if you are madly, deeply in love with your Savior, His opinion will trump everybody else's opinion. Well, I'm glad I have some support, but folks, we should, this should be 100% unanimous here. He says there's going to be light all over the place. There's going to be light all over the place. It'll be easy to know the opinion of God on any subject. Man, I could end the sermon right there. We, man, we'd had enough to, we had enough to chew on for a, probably a month. But he also tells us there's going to be living water. Didn't Jesus say that he was going to give us living water? We're going to be able to taste... Some water that will never thirst again. And folks, if you found the Savior, you'll know that you'll know exactly what he's talking about. Oh, not or it doesn't quench an earthly thirst. Man, I've been thirsty tonight. I don't know, for some reason I've had I've been pretty I've had to be close to this water bottle. I've been thirsty. But it's not a thirst for the things of, of this world and not this water in this bottle. He gives us living water. That satisfies every longing and every desire of the soul. You remember how it was like when you're in the world and you sought after this thing and that thing, hoping it'd satisfy, and it just doesn't. It just doesn't satisfy. But the living waters, they do. 
Oh, there's a slew of things in here that, he, that all these good things come because God brings deliverance. He brings his lordship. He becomes the king of all the earth. Man, I'm looking forward to that day. I'd just like to tell the, the Adam Clark and the rest of them behind there, man, I don't know that it's there. I don't think we've had that yet. I don't know. But I tell you, I'm looking forward for a day when we get to the place where the Lord is the King of kings and the Lord of lords of every single heart. He's already King of kings and Lord of lords, and they will submit to him whether they want to or not. But man, I'm looking forward to the day when the whole world just acknowledges who he is. Says they're going to... All our needs are going to be supplied. The, the wealth of the heathens are going to be brought in and, and every need is going to be supplied. Can't you testify to that tonight? That when the Lord comes, when he saves us, every need, his hand supplies. And we sang about that precious riches tonight. One of my favorite songs as well. So glad for the precious, precious jewels of the kingdom of heaven. Every need, his hand does supply. Folks, we could go on and on, but, but folks, there's something here I want you to see, something that's amazing to me, and maybe the best part, and maybe this explains why God allows for the destruction of Jerusalem and all those people to die and all those women to be raped and all those awful things that, that we just can't get our mind around. There's something glorious, something even better, something even better than all the things that I've mentioned thus far, and it's this, those that God had, had brought to be enemies of Israel those that survived God's judgment and wrath upon them, they are now going to worship with the Jews. They are going to start being a part of the believers of God. That makes the suffering worth it. Those who are our enemies, those who, who fought against us, those, those who would have destroyed us and those who would harm us, God changes their heart to make them followers. And the one that was the persecutor is bowing down and praying beside the one that was persecuted. And we saw this at Paul, didn't we? When Paul, who had been a persecutor and breathing out threatenings against the church, Suddenly now he's preaching to those very people he sought one time to throw into prison and kill. What an amazing thing. I don't know who your greatest enemy in your life was. Well, I do. It was yourself. But your second greatest enemy in your life... I don't know who that is, but I, wouldn't it be an amazing, wonderful thing to one day kneel side by side in worship of the great king with that one person who had been a difficulty, had been a bully, had been, been someone who had hindered you? And now suddenly, because of your suffering, because of the things that, uh, that you went through, they now have the privilege of being brought into the kingdom of heaven with you? Oh, folks. Oh, we get so caught up in the suffering that we forget about the blessing. Well, what if I'm not alive to see it? Who cares? There's still the blessing. This story isn't about you. It's about him and who he's going to redeem to himself. And we get caught up in our day-to-day, -day, in our moment-by-moments. 
God doesn't, God doesn't work that way. God says, listen, I may allow some suffering for today, but I've got some glory to that has to that you have to go through the suffering to get to the glory. You have to go through the suffering to get the glory. The blessings that I want to pour out, those precious jewels and that we were singing about during the offering time, we don't get those without the suffering first. The gold doesn't get purified without the fire. There's no rainbows without rain. There's no healing without pain. We don't get to see the hand of God move until we're willing to go through the difficulties first. And when they come, we groan and moan and complain. We all do it, me too. But God is trying, I believe with, uh, in this passage and a lot of prophecies and stuff, I can't tell you what they all mean. God is trying to help us to see that this suffering brings about glory for our God. And the very ones that were oppressors become worshipers. Oh. Oh, I have some names that I'd like to see to bow down. Some that were hindrances in my pathway that I want to see bow down. There's some that were difficult to, to, uh, in my journey to uh, serving the Lord. Man, I would be wonderful to hear them, for them to call me up and say, I want you to know I found your God. Wouldn't it be worth it? What would you suffer? What would you be willing to endure to have some of them come to know the Lord? And finally, God, God personally sanctifies. He takes and he breaks down the barrier between the secular and the holy. Holiness under the Lord is, is on the bells. It's on the pots and the pans. And God, when he comes, he breaks down that barrier between that which is secular use and that which is for his use. You know, it concerns me when we, have, when we compartmentalize things that, that are holy and things that are, are just, just secular. Now I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, that our minds are, cannot grasp this fully, but, but here's what I'm trying to help you understand. Your job is holiness unto the Lord. <coughs> When you're filling out paperwork for your insurance, it's holiness under the Lord. When you're paying your taxes, it's holiness under the Lord. When you're driving down the road, it's holiness under the Lord. When you talk to that server at Brahms, that... that and they take your money and they get your order wrong. It's holiness under the Lord. God breaks down the secular and the holy. The bells of the horses and the pots and the pans and the uh, vessels used in the, in the temple, they're all the same. Holiness under the Lord. And God wants to break down the barriers of what you call secular and what you call holy. If it's in your home and it's not holy, get rid of it. 
If, it, if your job's not holy, get a new job. You say, wait a minute, preacher, does that mean that, that if, there's, if I'm working with non-Christians, I can't work there? I didn't say that. But if you've got to lie, cheat, commit fraud, break the law to do your job, you're not doing what God wants you to do. If that's what your boss expects of you, that's not holiness unto the Lord. Find another job. Preacher, I have to eat. Do you? Remember what we said, suffering brings about glory? We get so caught up in what we have to have right now that we forget that God wants to get glory for himself. And I can't tell you how many stories I've read of people who have come to that point where they've realized that their, that their job, their boss is going to require evil of them and they, st they get out of it. And then the government comes in, the FBI, the police, and, they, and those people get in trouble. And if they would have overridden the check of the Holy Spirit, they would have been in prison. Story after story I've read on that. We get too caught up in our present. And God wants us to understand that there should be no division in our lives of what's secular and what's holy. If we want to write holiness under the Lord on our hearts, every part of us has got to be holy. If we want to claim to be sanctified, every part of us has got to be on the altar. Everything we own, everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, it all has to be holiness under the Lord. It has to be on the altar. We're coming to the end of Zechariah. It's been a complicated book. There have been many, many, many times I've had to be honest with you and say, I don't know what this prophecy really means. But if I was going to boil down this whole series into one thought, it'd be this. The God who's helped us in the past will keep us in the present and will take care of us in the future. The God who has already helped us in the past, he has a perfect track record, will will take care of us in the present. And whatever we face, any battles, any circumstances, anything that's going on in your life right now, those things that you're anxious about, those things that you're worried about, God will take care of your present. And he's promised to take care of us in the future. The songwriter said, he never has failed me yet. And he hasn't failed me now. And he hasn't failed me tomorrow because you know how i can say that because the god's already been there he's already been in tomorrow and the next day and the next year and then in the next decade if i live that long and he tarries that long he's already there and you know what he hasn't failed me in that time yet either the message of zechariah as the people are come, are, are back from exile as they're rebuilding the temple, as they're trying to get their lives together, as he's predicting future events. It's just simply this. He's worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your trust. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him more and more. But oh, for grace. All for grace to trust him more.
we can trust him. We've trusted him in the past, and he stood perfect. We can trust him in our present, and we can trust him with every single tomorrow we have left. He is trustworthy. Those that know thy name will put their trust in him. Let's stand together. Amen. Amen. Rocky, dismiss us this evening.